Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Code Concepts with myself, Pete Roquet. Uh, my co-host, uh, Rachel Patterson, is unavailable at the moment, but she will try to tune in with us today. So today's guest is a renowned national speaker and an expert on uh, cartel uh, cartels. Uh, his name is Robert Almonte. He has a website, robertalmonte.com, where he uh, lectures a lot with the law enforcement uh, narcotic officers associations across the U.S. I've seen him on, on TV, which is awesome to have him here on our show and uh, get to uh, learn a little bit about, uh, you know, cartels today. And uh, it has to do a lot with officer safety and kind of the role that code enforcement uh, plays when uh, encountering these types of uh, so, uh, these type of uh, situations where you may not recognize you're in a cartel type of environment. So with that, uh, welcome, Mr. Robert Almonte. How are you today? Thank you. Good morning, Pete. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just excited. I have so many questions about uh, carteles, narco corridos. I have, you know, a lot of information that you have. I know you do, uh, you know, dayline seminars on this stuff, you know, a couple of days. And I know today we have you for a good uh, 45 minutes to an hour just to kind of pick your brain on things that uh, that you've done. So a little bit. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into law enforcement and then eventually how you became a U.S. marshal expert in uh, cartel and uh, you know, narco-traficantes. Well, thank you. Be my my pleasure. And, and again, thank you for having me on your on your show. Uh, well, I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. Uh, grew up about four blocks away from the U.S.-Mexico border. I was uh, uh, I lived in a you know uh, your average neighborhood, pretty nice neighborhood. I mean, we had some gang activity, but uh, it was limited. It came from the outside. Uh, well, anyway, I I, uh, I think uh, when I was in high school, I re I decided I want to be a be police officer. I must have been a freshman or a sophomore, and uh, and uh, and that was it. I wanted to be a police officer, and uh, so I joined the El Paso Police Department a long, long time ago in uh, 1978, and uh, I uh, I worked 25 years. Uh, some in patrol, but most of my career was working narcotics. I was a uh, narcotic detective. I worked undercover. Uh, and uh, also did search warrants, uh, all the uh, stuff, narcotics investigations. And I was a, a sergeant in narcotics, uh, three crime, major crime. And then uh, when I promoted the lieutenant, I was a patrol shift commander for 13 months. And then uh, I went back to narcotics as, uh, as the uh, narcotic commander for seven years, promoted the captain to oversaw narcotics gang unit, auto cell. Uh, crime scene, and then as a deputy chief, the last three years of my career, career, I was a deputy chief in charge of the major crime bureau with basically all the detectives, investigators. So I had about three hundred people in my in my bureau, and I retired. And uh, then I uh, started doing the training. Actually, I've been doing this for for years and years. And then uh, it was in uh, two thousand nine. Leave. Uh, I received a call from. Uh, one of the staff members from Congressman uh, Reyes out of El Paso asking me if I was interested in becoming the United States Marshal for the Western District of Texas. And that was the furthest thing from my mind. Uh, to be honest, we almost hung up on him. I thought it was a, a cruel joke. <laughs> but uh, 13 months later, 13 months later, I'm watching D.C. getting sworn in. Uh, so I served under President Obama from 2010 to 2016. And then since then, I've been uh, really busy with the, and the training and conducting uh, research. As you know, I go into Mexico. I was just in Mexico about three weeks ago. 
<clears throat> various parts of Mexico and uh, I do a lot of training. So when I'm not uh, doing the training or doing the research, I'm on my laptop uh, updating presentation because uh, I think that's key. Uh, I've had some officers been to my training four or five times and they're always telling me we see something new there that they, they learn. So that in a nutshell is my, my career. Um, 31 years in law enforcement. Uh, those 25 years with Paso Police Department actually were uh, set the foundation for me to do what I'm doing right now, all of the training. Because when I was a narcotic detective, uh, that's when um, I began, you know, investigating the cartels and then also seeing how they were using the spiritual world for protection from law enforcement from us. Uh, so I just started digging, 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 and uh, and here we are. <clears throat> And, and, you know, one, one of the things that I um, see, and you started back in 78, so you saw it from the, like, that crack pandemic to now where it's it's uh, primarily a lot of meth and fentanyl and all that stuff. And, you know, and people don't, um, I, I think us yeah. as code enforcement officers, sometimes we don't realize how toxic this stuff is on the body. Um, you know, the other day I was watching, uh, you know, uh, a video where, uh, you know, uh, deputy chief, de deputy officer grabbed some drugs from the trunk of a car and was overdosing and just based on base contact. And us as code enforcement officers, we never, a lot of times we don't take that into consideration. So it's it's important for us to learn about narcotics and what kind of uh, drugs are out there, what they do, recognize it. You know, um, one of the, our models is if you see something, say something. And, you know, kind of right. brings me to to this point, um, you know, one of the reasons we invited you is, uh, you know, uh, sometimes we deal with these cartel um, type of operations with dog fighting or cock fighting, or, you know, we're, we're going out there and we see uh, like, a, like a, you know, coyote house, you know, where they have a lot of, uh, you know, folks and, you know, we might not realize, you know, we might get the calls like, hey, we have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, random people coming in and in vans and, you know, you get these calls and, and a lot of times, you know, law enforcement needs, uh, you know, probable cause to conduct search, a search. While we code enforcement, sometimes we need, uh, you know, the uh, reasonable suspicion of illegal alterations to, you know, get an inspection warrant. And a lot of times uh, we are able to get that intel for our, our, our law enforcement <laughs> officers and, um, you know, start that process. But, you know, um, before we got on the air, you were saying how you saw the importance of code enforcement way back in the day. Can you tell us a little bit uh, how you ended up uh, bringing a nexus together? Well, you know, uh, that happened with a narcotic commander, uh, probably 1993. And uh, we started a stash house task force. And uh, back then, we, we were executing search warrants in a lot of stash houses. And, you know, we're not trained code enforcers, but some things were really obvious, like this needs to be condemned or this wiring shouldn't be hanging like this. So I reached out to one of our building inspectors. That's what they called him back then, and uh, asked him about it. And he said, yeah, you know, I'd be happy to work with you. So he went with us on a lot of search warrants. I don't want to say he went with would hit the house on a search warrant, secure it. And then he'd go in there and look at all the violations. And then uh, he would cite them or write them up for whatever violations he saw. And then we would put them in jail for double uh, double whammy. There was actually a couple of cases where we removed the drug, we removed the people, and then he shut the house down. He actually condemned it. He put the notice, no trespassing, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I saw the value in this uh, a long time ago. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I think law enforcement officers and code enforcement officers are missing the boat. They don't work together. 
I 100% agree. And, you know, one of, one of the things that we tell our law enforcement partners is that, hey, include us in your warrant. Even if you don't need us, include us in your warrant anyways. Sure. You know, a lot of for, you know, a lot of these uh, homes, like you say, when you're condemning them, there's sometimes there, it, there's illegal drug manufacturing, you know, meth and it, it seeps into the drywall. So we have to, you know, you know, get our reports in order for somebody to. Uh, you know, start living in those conditions again. So a lot of times they can't. So um, when you say we do the double whammy, yeah, there's a lot of heavy fines involved, especially in California. Uh, you know, the fines have just increased from like $100 to $150, $700, per day per violation, which adds up really fast. And, you know, for some, uh, for some, uh, you know, some of these criminal elements that for them, that's just the cost of doing business. But for others, it's just like, you know what, I'm just going to leave the house We're, and, you know, it's easier just to knock it down and we get rid of a, a problem house in those neighborhoods. So yes, if, if, right. if code yeah. enforcement, and they're not working together, they are missing that boat. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's I'm glad that yeah. you pointed it out. Yeah. And I got to tell you uh, also the ones that benefit from something like that or the neighbor there because they don't want to be living next door across the street uh, from uh, activity or an ice store as well. So, yeah, it, it's good for everybody. And, yeah, no, I, I've always believed in, in teamwork and actually um, had nothing to do with code enforcement. But in addition to code enforcement officers, I take an IRS criminal criminal investigator, gun-toting IRS agent us and uh, the drug cartel, drug trafficking were more afraid of them than they were of us because they took away from them. So the, the whole idea is to hit these guys with everything they, everything we got, stay on their heels and not let them catch their breath. And we do that by working together. So one of, one of the things that for some of our viewers, what is a stash house? I know some folks don't know the lingo, but what, what is a stash house? Well, the, the, uh, a stash house is, is um, any location Typically a residential area, but it could be an apartment. It could be a, a warehouse building uh, that's being used to package, repackage, and distribute drugs. Uh, another uh, definition for stash house is uh, uh, a home being used uh, as a staging area for the migrants that are coming into the United States. And then from there, they're being shipped to different parts of the country. So that would also be a, a stash house. And we have a lot of those human smuggling stash houses uh, all, all along the border. Yeah, so we, we did a we did a, a training with the Federal Bureau of Investigations <clears throat> that talked about some of these stash houses for like, you know, for uh, human trafficking, because that's the one commodity that can be sold over and over and over again. And, you know, right. and one of the things that we see typically in those is uh, we, we get the calls about the high, you know, high traffic between the houses and you know vans and and us in code enforcement we deal with vending you know a lot of people don't know that some of these folks are working off their debt from crossing over from mexico so they're, they're working right. off their debt and they're you know they're basically uh you know uh human slaves today that they have to work constantly and you know they get punished if you know when code enforcement takes away their goods or or, or carts and they get punished so you know that's something yeah. that as officers we need to take more um more what do you call it uh, just think about those other elements that could be in play when we're, we're talking to these corn vendors or food vendors or whatever uh, well you know the thing is the mexican cartels have always been involved in human smuggling and and now the only difference is they're even more involved in human smuggling uh because of the surge of migrants that we cross the border so the the cartels have plugged 
themselves into that. So what begins is human fling, and then when they're holding these people against their will here on, in the United States, either uh, for forced labor or for more money than that turn went from human smuggling to human trafficking. Yeah. And, and w- w- so one of the, so some of the topics that you, that you teach is, you know, and I think they're very important are, you know, uh, you know, like hotel investigate, motel investigations, you know, some of us deal with these problem motels and a lot of them have uh, to do with, you know, uh, drug trafficking, sex trafficking, and, you know, us as code enforcement officials, we, we also can condemn those hotels. And, um, like you said, we, we brought those, uh, transient operating tax, uh, uh, you know, fines towards them and, you know, saying, Hey, you didn't pay these back taxes. You know, we have the ability to look at your logs, but yeah, I, I never thought about look, bringing an IRS person with me, but that's, a uh, <laughs> that's a very good idea. So there you go. Yeah, you, you always learn yeah, something. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, and and a lot of us deal with uh, Hispanic gangs in the U.S. That's another topic that you also teach. Now, can you can you yeah. tell us uh, some of the dangers that uh, you know? I, I would say more of a civilian person would not know that's something that uh, you know we should be recognizing when you're going into a neighborhood. Yeah, well, I think uh, I'm going to lead off or pick up where you just finished going into a neighborhood. Uh, the thing to look for as far as activity would be what's called tagging. And it's going to be graffiti uh, spray painted on the walls, uh, on homes or on fences or buildings. Uh, you see graffiti like that, that means uh, uh, gangs are tagging their area, their turf. And sometimes other gangs will come cross that out, put their turf. So you know you got gang activity in the area when you see a lot of uh, uh, graffiti spray painted on, on walls or buildings when you're going into a certain neighbor, neighborhood. That's a big, big uh, red flag that you're probably in an area where there's gang uh, activity. And, and there's a lot of gang uh, activity. The presence of gangs has grown tremendously throughout the United States. Uh, a lot of Hispanic gangs, and a lot of these gangs are working directly for the Mexican cartel. They're uh, they're moving the drugs, they're moving the money, they're selling street uh, level drug sales, they're carrying out hits for the cartel. So, but I want to point out, it's not only the Mexican or Hispanic gangs that are working for the cartel. We have the uh, Bandidos Motorcycle Gang. We have the Aryan Brotherhood. <clears throat> Go figure. You're thinking Aryan Brotherhood, uh, white power. What's no longer about white power? It's about green power. They're involved in any thing that's going to generate money uh, for them. So same thing with the Mexican uh, cartel. So, yeah, you know, and many of us think, uh, you know, it's, you know, me growing up Hispanic, I grew up in a very predominantly gang neighborhood, you know, so I, I could have went this way, I could have went that way, you know, and, yeah. and one of the things that people look at, you know, the evolution of these gangs, you know, back then it was more a bunch of hooligans, you know, you know, writing on the wall. Now it's, you know, now, you know, a lot of them are associated with cartels and, you know, and those things. Now, what are some of the recruiting tools that maybe a cartel would use to kind of come to these street gangs? Well, you know, the, the, the cartels uh, recruit in, in many, many different ways. Uh, the old school was, for example, you know, I grew up in El Paso, right across the water in Mexico. And then these other border cities like uh, Laredo, Texas, Nuevo Laredo, uh, you have these, you know, high school students that will cross over into Mexico and they'll party there. Well, what the cartels do is they spot them and then they'll pay them uh, uh, money to drive a car uh, back across the bridge and just park it in a parking lot. They give them, the, you know, $100, $200 and they walk away. Uh, they still do that, but now the cartels are, are 
using uh, technology, using social media. Uh, one of the things that they're doing is the uh, the gaming. Uh, uh, you know how you can challenge anybody in the world to a game, an online game. Uh, so the cartel uh, try to get somebody not too far from the border on this side of the border and challenge them to a game, and they start playing some games and and. Uh, then, uh, eventually, after a few games, that cartel member will mention something. Hey, uh, you know, can you do me a favor? Do you mind bringing a, a, a truck full of furniture over there from El Paso, cross it over to El Paso, I mean, uh, cross it over to Juarez, Mexico, and I'll give you a couple hundred. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. Where I pick up, they pick up the truck and take it over to Juarez, and uh, unbeknownst to that person, the gamer, he may have just crossed over a million dollars in, in, in drugs money and then the old, while they're in it can you wait wait i need to send some furniture or some other items back to el paso yeah sure thing <clears throat> so now they put drugs in the truck or the car and the gamer has no idea this is going on uh so that's what that's what the challenge is right now the cartels are using the social media gaming system to to recruit people to work for them wow see i see me as a parent and i, I have kids that you know do gaming and i'm like Wow, that's that's incredible. I mean, even you know, I, I think you know, back in the day, they used to you know, you had a like a senior gang members like, hey, you guys want to be cool with us and be part of this cool group, and you know, now they're using technology for this stuff. That that's insane. Well, I, I never even heard of that. Yeah, yeah, you know, Pete, and that's why I, I did an interview with a national news outlet regarding what we just talked about. And, uh, you know, my advice to parents is, uh, as you, as you mentioned, if your, your teenager is playing games, interest of the child, the parent find out who they're playing games with. And also I wouldn't allow my child, my teenager, uh, to accept challenges from somebody they don't know. I mean, they got plenty of friends, people that they know or friends of friends, but to just, uh, accept the challenge and maybe somebody from Mexico, I think that's a red flag. Uh, you know, in my days, uh, growing up, and even uh, when I was a police officer, the, the game we had was that old, I think Atari was the Pong, just a, a ball <laughs> like a tennis ball <laughs> on the screen. That was it for us, and it's advanced so much now. I mean, time, times have changed. Oh, no, 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 no. I see kids get so immersed in these games. You know, now, so, something that um, you you do um, kind of talk about is hotel and motel investigations. Now, you know, uh, like I said, a, a lot of us deal with these shady kind of like uh, motels where, you know, people are using them for, for you know, uh, prostitution, sex trafficking, th those kind of things. I I've even seen uh, uh, manufacturing in some of them. Now, what, what are what are some, some other concerns for, you know, uh, somebody that may be visiting a motel and doesn't realize they're in that type of motel? Because on uh, Yelp, they won't say that. I mean, if you read the reviews, yeah, there was a crack activity there you know i stepped on a, a broken pipe or or whatever but what, what are kind of other things that people don't know that may be taking place in a in like a, at a motel or hotel well you know just about any type of criminal activity that you can imagine uh has occurred or will occur in a hotel or motel somewhere in the united states and why when i was a narcotic commander now so we uh implemented a full-time hotel motel investigation task force our priority was going after drug traffickers, but I got to tell you, we ran into so many other things. We ran into sex trafficking. We actually rescued some of these young females that are 15 years old that were being sex trafficked, uh, and they were runaways 
to begin with. And then uh, I remember uh, uh, human trafficking uh, as well, uh, a meth lab, uh, a couple of methods in the hotel rooms. Uh, we uh, also uh, took uh, a lot of uh, weapons and ammunition from a hotel room uh, that was related to a international terrorist ring. So there's just so many uh, things involved with the hotel. But the other danger too is that you know, you have the drug cartel going to hotels and doing the drug deals. I'm not talking about law enforcement being involved in those. Those things happen all the time. And then there's a shooting. Well, I don't have to tell you, Pete, how how those walls are not very thick. So those bullets can go through a, a room or two or three rooms uh, and, and hurt an innocent uh, guest or uh, somebody uh, sleeping in, in another room. So there's just so many things going on with the hotels and motels today. Uh, the other thing going on is that uh, like what happened in, in Las Vegas uh, a couple of years ago, uh, that shooter up in the high-rise building checked in and, and started shooting all these people. So there's just so many reasons uh, to pay attention to the hotels and motels. And if they're not addressing the hotels and motels, they're missing some criminal activity, uh, no doubt. No, I, I would agree. And, you know, so but going back to some of the motels and some of the things that code enforcement can do is because, you know, some of some of these motels aren't meant for long term habitation. They're only, what, 28 to 31 days max uh, per stint. And, you know, we, when we go to these uh, hotels, when we actually did have a hotel motel enforcement task force, you, you see that people have been living in three, four, five, six, seven years there. And you're like, hey, this is supposed to be a home. You know, some of them are, are being subsidized by county uh, programs, you know, for, uh, you know, for temporary housing and it turns into long term housing. And, you know, that's where um, some of these uh, motel owners drop the ball and say, hey, you know, one of the things that, that we were able to do is saying, hey, every 20, every 28 days, these people have to check out of the room completely. The room has to be clear. And, you know, yeah, it creates an inconvenience for folks. And, you know, some of some of these um, some of these motel owners play that kind of shuffle game where they shuffle a person to one room to another. And, right. you know, you're just moving right. the criminal element from <laughs> room 7B to 8A, you know. So and, and, and right. one of the things that we can do is constantly keep on them saying, hey, I need to see your logs in regards to. Uh, when they checked in, when they checked out, are they using a different name? Uh, th these kind of things that law enforcement really doesn't do. And we use it using uh, transient operating tax procedures or, uh, you know, again, uh, some of these, uh, you know, uh, people take off the smoke detectors or, you know, they start bringing cooking equipment. And we, I mean, we see weapons. Uh, so uh, other than, uh, you know, what are some telltale signs that we when we go to uh, some of these motels that we should see? We're like, hey, maybe this isn't the most savory thing that we're we're seeing. Uh, you know, for example, uh, when you see, uh, uh, you know, like the 15 year olds that are there all day, you know, uh, you know, something like that. So what are other things that we should watch out for if, if there's like a criminal element like, you know, drugs or, or, or guns or something like that? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the obvious what you just mentioned, uh, I remember uh, going into some hotel rooms and they had, they didn't have the smoke detector removed, but they covered it up with how, uh, and they were cooking methamphetamine in, in the, uh, it would be if somebody's in the room, but they don't have any luggage. That's a red flag. Who goes 
checked into a hotel with no luggage and no clothes. They're there to uh, probably actually be involved in criminal uh, activity. So common sense, just like those terrorists uh, that we got in El Paso, uh, we had an employee that saw walked into the room and saw uh, several guns there. You see several guns in a hotel room, that, that's just not right. Uh, uh, and law enforcement needs to be notified. And if it's a, a hunter that's going to go hunting, well, law enforcement will determine that and nobody gets hurt nobody's uh you know inconvenient uh but uh, by letting law enforcement know when they see these types of things i uh, could save some life yeah so we have a, a a comment from somebody in colorado our actually it's our uh, co-host which is in here uh in colorado our laws are starting to deal with this concern as far as substandard <laughs> living conditions and so on with motels which allow very long-term rentals so it makes sense. So yes, um, you know, for code enforcement officers, um, you know, regulate these 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 rules because you know what? If when you don't and you kind of just let it, you know, just let people live there for long periods of time, you're going to get these long term, you know, long term problems because a motel doesn't turn into a bad motel overnight. It takes time, and you know, a lot of these motel owners aren't doing their part. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate law enforcement for their efforts, but a lot of times it's just, you know, it's just killing one roach and you got like 10 other roaches, you know, <laughs> that, that you just have to deal with over and over and over again. So uh, long term effect is to throw your resource like an exterminator and just tent the whole thing and do what you got to do. Well, so, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. People. The other thing, you know, uh, we're fortunate. Most hotel owners and managers will cooperate with law enforcement. Officers. There's some that will uh, because they're, you know, their frame of mind, I'll take any business I can get. But the problem with that is, is that uh, then bad things start happening there. And I, I tell people working in the hotel, look, uh, the reason a hotel gets a bad reputation with the general public is because it has a good reputation with the criminal. And that that's the bottom line. So you want to prevent that, that hotel from getting a bad reputation with the uh, general public and address the criminal activity there. Yeah. So, so let's, let's go back to some of the, uh, you know, your expertise in, in the uh, Santarias and, you know, the, the cartel stuff. What are some things that uh, us as, uh, you know, code officials should watch out for when we go do a random inspection, let, let's say a house. Is there any particular type of statue that you're like, Hey, that's a, that's a big one that, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's something that we need to be concerned about. Well, you know, there, there's there's so many different ones, and and as, as you know, Pete, I, I do a lot of training uh, for law enforcement officers uh, on different statues and candles that could be in a house. And by the way, we just finished talking about hotels. They'll keep these things in the hotels. Also, we've seen them on the on the top of the dresser where they have their uh, statues of Santa Muerte. Santa Muerte is a big one right now, and Santa Muerte concerns me the most because she's very easily associated with death because she looks like the Grim Reaper. Uh, however, it's important for me to point out that not everybody praying to Santa Muerte or or has a statue or candle of Santa Muerte is a criminal. There's people on both sides of the border that are not involved in criminal activity that pray to Santa Muerte. Uh, but the bottom line is we do have a lot of cartels and gangers that are, are praying to Santa Muerte. Now some, uh, uh, for your uh, listeners, code enforcement officers, uh, they go into a house and they see a, an altar uh, shrine and there's a candle flickering and statues and things of that nature. Uh, my advice is is uh, because the code enforcement officers can also 
uh, be considered the enemy of the cartels or gangs if you guys are going and you're fighting them and you're causing them a headache. So my recommendation when you go and look at this shrine, this altar, make sure your name is not written on a piece of paper uh, next to a Santa Muerte can statue. If it is, uh, that's the uh, that should be alarming to you, and it shouldn't be taken lightly. It should be uh, taken seriously. A police report should be made, and the code enforcement officer should report it up their chain of command. Report should be made there as well, and then that code enforcement officer um, needs to be uh, extra careful, uh, make sure they're not being followed. I'm not trying to scare them, just being aware of that, because that, that happens a lot where police officers, named judges, prosecutors, are found probation officers. Uh, are found there with Santa, with their name on uh, next to Santa Muerte. Uh, so those are the different things. I, I I encourage any everybody, your code enforcement officers, they go in the house and they see these altars and try and uh, take a look. Number one, just to make sure your name's uh, uh, not there. That's a, that's a good start. And then there's so many other things. We got Santa Muerte. We got Jesus Malverde, who is the uh, narco saint, who did not originate as the narco saint. And then you have your legitimate Catholic saints also that are being uh, uh, used, or I should say misused, both in the and the and the gang. So there's just so many so many things to look for. Yeah, I think as a code enforcement inspector, I think I've dealt with it twice in my life. Uh, you know, when I walked in and as an altar, I, it was the first time I walked in there and uh, the people generally invited me in. But, you know, just when I walked in, like my body just, you know, there was my sixth sense just said, hey, there's something up with this house, you know, and and, you know, I saw the, the statute and, and I left immediately. You know, I did what I needed to do real fast and I left immediately and let my uh, police department know, like, hey, something's going on there. I don't know what it is. And yeah, I was right. Something, you know, it was a, it was a drug operation there going out there, but I didn't know that, you know, I'm there and yeah. inspecting, uh, you know, substandard housing and lo and behold, there's this whole other thing going on. So, yeah. Yeah. That'll get, it, get your, that'll get your, and actually, you know, there's law enforcement officers. Uh, I'm sad to say that uh, they won't even approach these alters and trying. And I tell them, I look, you need to approach these things. It's the only reason you'll do it is make sure your name's not on that table. That I'll take it. But you need to go up there and take a look at this stuff. You know, in uh, the training that I've done, I receive a lot of positive feedback from officers that attend the training. And I received feedback from officers who are actually a, a cold case homicide detective with LAPD after he attended my training. He credited me that he attended with helping all a cold case murder investigation simply by reading the prayers that were there uh, on, on at the altar. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've never, you know, I mean, these, these things do exist out there. I mean, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's common, but it's something that we need to be aware of because we never know. Right. Uh, one of the other, um, you know, my experiences, uh, we ended up going to a ranch and it just, something just seemed off and it, it eventually ended up turning into a cockfighting operation that was run by the cartels. And, you know, mm -hmm. after that, you know, from what I hear, it didn't happen to me, but uh, that the cartel was actually going to people's houses and asking, hey, I'm, I need to speak to so-and-so, you know, I'm with uh, this agency or and you know, no identification, they look pretty sketchy. So that's something that, you know, we, we're breaking down these, um, uh, these uh, cockfighting operations. And, you know, can, can you uh, tell us what the nexus between the cockfighting and the cartels are? What, what's the, what's the criminal um, uh, tie in there? 
Well, that, now we're talking about the culture of the cartels, and that part of my training. Uh, yeah. I talk about anything and everything involving the cartels, and, and I basically know. <laughs> we're, talking about, <laughs> we're talking about what the cartels are doing when they're not holding the drugs or they're not in the stash house. And uh, you know, Hispanic Mexicans like uh, cockfights, and cartel members like cockfights. So they'll either host a cockfight or they'll go somewhere where there's a, a cockfight. And, and first of all, cockfighting is illegal in the United States. Every state in the United States, cockfighting is illegal. It's illegal to even be a spectator at a cockfighting event anywhere in the United States. But these cockfighting uh, events uh, do take place. They take place throughout the United States. So uh, they go there, they being the cartel members. And I do want to point out that not everybody attending those events are uh, cartel members. Okay, so everybody and anybody go there, they're going to gamble on which uh, chicken is going to win the cockfight. So there's gambling going on. The other thing going on there, there's uh, drug use, there's drug trafficking, they negotiate, they do drug deals. There have been several uh, cockfighting operations uh, investigated by law enforcement officers throughout the United States. And uh, I want to say just about every single investigation where arrests have been made, they've been uh, recovered several weapons as well. So we have these people there with weapons. So now you have the uh, chance of a shooting occurring at these locations and people getting hurt or killed. Uh, just just uh, about three weeks ago, they uh, cockfighting operation at the United States. It was in, in uh, Michoacan, Mexico, uh, run by the CJNG cartel. Rival cartel came in and they, uh, 20 people were shot, 20 wow. people. 20 people and uh you know when i uh commented on on one of my posts linkedin somebody commented oh yeah well i don't see that happening here well you know it already has happened here in the united states several years ago what has happened here there uh in hidalgo county outside of mcgallon uh there's a cockfight going going on some shooters showed up shot and killed three people uh that's here in the united states so there's a a, a danger uh, in so many ways, so many dangers uh, or the potential for danger, somebody getting hurt or killed uh, at, a, at a cockfight. And then the other danger is that uh, these cocks, the roosters, they have uh, blades, really sharp blades attached to their legs. And if you get cut by that and they cut you in the right spot, you can bleed to death in, within seconds. And that actually has, uh, has happened here in the United States where a spectator was cut by a rooster and, and died before they even uh, made it to the hospital it's an extremely uh i in my opinion barbaric and uh, uh deadly sport yeah and and you know us as code for we don't ever see a lot of this stuff i mean we might touch it like but it's you know normally when we see something i i would say hey talk to your law enforcement you have to have that line of communication because you know what we're not law enforcement mm -hmm. officers you know, a lot of us don't get to attend attend uh, your training. I know you've uh, taught that the uh, California Narcotics Officers Association. Uh, you know, I've I've done training with 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 the, that group, and you know, there's a lot of good training that comes out of it. But a lot of us code enforcement folks don't really see a lot of this uh, law enforcement gang training. You know, it's so important for us to be able to at least identify. Hey, this this tagging means this, or yeah, that's a that's um you know that's a them crossing this out and putting a 187 on them or, or, or a 13, what does that mean? Or, you know, and people don't realize that these numbers have, uh, you know, some significance. Okay. What is, uh, what does the 18th street mean? What does the MS mean? You know, and, and, you know, kind of know the correlation. I'm like, okay, that gang doesn't get along with that gang and they're crossing each other out in this neighborhood. And I'm standing right here watching this. 
I need to kind of put my my uh, my uh, you know headlights on and kind of like look. Yeah, hey, it's all about awareness. Yeah, it's all about awareness, Pete. That uh, regardless of who who you are or where you work, I mean, you guys, code enforcement officers, uh, go into these homes where there's drug trafficking and other criminal activity going on. So, yeah, I can see the value in in uh, code enforcement officers learning about this. I think it's very important. And that's one of the reasons that we had you on today, because, you know, you with the extensive learning and you, you have a, you're a pretty high profile guy. I mean, I see, I see you on LinkedIn all the time. You're on this news channel on that news channel. I'm like, Oh, wow. This guy knows what he's talking about. I need to have him on. We need to bring him on because our code enforcement folks, we deal with this stuff. And and for me, officer safety is a big concern. You know, we're, we're having a big push on situational awareness you know, th- this is another level of situational awareness that, hey, um, you go into a house, you see this, um, you know, uh, you know, the different colors that people are wearing, you know, uh, you know, type of vehicles being used or, or you know, th- those kind of things. It's important for us to realize and recognize those things. Now, um, no. the other question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely correct. You know, and, and then going into this whole, um, you know, us. uh Looking at you know another thing that I found interesting was the narco corridos thing that you that you talk about you know and these are these are like uh, songs that sang like kind of like folk songs that kind of tell stories and a lot you know me growing up in a Hispanic family you know I, I listen to these stories about you know the uh, the Kiki Camarenas or you know the of the 1980s and stuff and you you hear this stuff so you know it, it gets glorified to an extent. And, you know, um, can you tell us what narco corridos are and what, you know, kind of things that are being said in those things? Oh, yeah. It, uh, narco corrido music has really evolved throughout the, the years. And uh, and actually, before we talk about a narco corrido, we have to talk about a corrido because that's where they started with a corrido. A corrido is a, a song that tells a story about something significant. There's a lot of corridos out there about the Mexican Revolution, uh, Pancho Villa, things of that nature. And then the narco corrido really started becoming very popular in the 1970s and, and really the group that really pushed them to the forefront was going to be Los Tigres del Norte. And uh, that was way back in the 70s. Those guys are still, still performing. I, I've been to the concert twice this past February. I went to the concert in uh, Sacramento. Uh, these these Tigres del Norte, they're like the Mexican with the Rolling Stone. These are whole dudes. Right? Uh, they're, they're, they're awesome. They still have all that uh, all that energy. And, you know, you got some uh, narco corrido songs. That they just tell the story. For example, there's one song by Tigres del Norte. I think it's called, uh, in English, uh, Treason and Contraband. And it's basically a story about a, a guy, Camela, excuse me, a girl, Camela from San Antonio, hooked up with a guy and they're bringing a load of dope. Uh, and they take it all the way out to uh, Hollywood. <clears throat> and then uh, she, uh, he, and he basically said, hey, we're done. I'm a true love in San Francisco. And then she ends up killing him, kind of like a love story. Uh, but uh, that song is still... <laughs> Extremely, extremely popular, uh, and, and here's the deal: theaters they have thousands and thousands of people that attend their concerts, and when they play that song, everything like everybody's singing along. They know words. This is a song about drug trafficking, and all these people, obviously, not everybody's a drug trafficker. There, they know the word. They like the song. They like the story, and it's just a, it's just a classic. All right, so now we went from there to to where we're at now, and that's called Movimiento Alterado. 
uh, altered movement. And that's basically where the lyrics are extremely graphic. I mean, it's music. It's music, but the lyrics are talking about blowing somebody a hookah, uh, mowing them down with an AK-47, uh, grenades, things of that nature, cutting their heads off. Uh, and, and you know, the, the, the music, the beat is pretty good, but a lot of people don't understand what they're saying. And yeah. uh, it's just a different world. So it's evolved so much now and then now. We also have the, the younger generation uh, music uh, that that appeals to the younger, what they call the junior narcos. Uh, you know, they like the rap and things of that nature. So uh, in listening to some of the rap songs, there's really no difference in the lyrics. They're very graphic. You're talking about killing people and drugs and that, that nature. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, the uh, narcoridos have, have evolved tremendously. And I talk about them uh, because there's no doubt uh, but the majority of people attending these uh, concerts are not involved in drug trafficking, but there's no doubt that uh, cartel members attend those. And I say no doubt because I know for a fact I attended, I've attended several of them. And on um, one of them, I had a, a guy there wanted to start uh, doing business with me. So um, that's why I attend those uh, those concerts, just for intel purposes and, and to train the officers of what's going on in, in their community. Yeah, because you do just like uh, you know, back in the day, you used to have people uh, selling their mixtapes out of their, out of their uh, you know, their back back um, trunk. You know, you have these new yeah. young guys; they're trying to make a name for themselves, admitting to some of these crimes that they're committing through their own mixtapes. You know, so that's something that we hear about also. Yeah, and you know, I'm gonna point out the narco corrido music is actually banned in Mexico. Mexican government says it's a bad influence for the the kids out there and being I think Mexico has bigger problems to worry about so a lot of these uh, musicians they'll record the song put it on YouTube getting you know hundreds of hits thousands of hits millions of hits now you got the attention of these music producers in LA and that's where a lot of them come to record and then you got these clubs throughout the United States where a lot of uh, Mexicans or Hispanic and they want to go down club owners hear about the group very popular they bring them in and boom now you have a Nazco Corrido concert going on in your area yeah. So what what are some signs that let's say, um, you know, for for me, I've been involved in in like I, I would say turf wars, not myself personally, but we witness turf wars within our own cities. How, is, is there any indication that there's like a like a cartel beef in a certain jurisdiction that we might say, hey, you know what? There's a lot of violence going on here or you, you, you kind of get my question. So. Back in the day, it was more like the East Siders are not hanging out, you know, they're beefing with the West Siders and tagging each other out. Is there something on the cartel level that's something similar? Yeah, yeah, there is. And, and you know, I've been saying it for years. And, and we, we've had cartel cell groups here in the United States uh, for many, many years. When I was buying drugs in, in El Paso in the, uh, in the uh, early mid-80s, uh, the, the group I was connecting with was out of Chicago. Uh, getting their supply from uh, <clears throat> from uh, Mexico. Well, what's going on now is uh, even more cell groups here in the United States, all over the United States, and these cell groups are are doing everything and anything. As far as one signs, uh, I did a, a class for the Kansas Narcotic Officers Association about a month ago, and this last week, an officer in that class uh, sent me a picture of. Uh, uh, letters CJNG tagged or spray painted on an overpass. That's a new generation cartel. 
Uh, so those wow. are the kind of things that that they need to be aware of. They're different, like CJNG, Cartel de Jalisco, Nueva Generación, but it's that's the new generation cartel. And they're one of the most brutal cartels uh, now, and they're here in the United States. And then Cartel de Sinaloa, CDS. So you see that kind of tagging, and you know something's going on. You know, April 12th of last year in uh, Alamance County, uh, North Carolina, uh, it was actually a big shootout involving two cartels. Uh, this is a high school teacher, a Spanish teacher, uh, and varsity basketball coach, him and his brother-in-law, uh, secretly worked for the Sinaloa Cardinal. And they go wow. to a, uh, a trailer there in Alamance County uh, to do a drug rip, rip off a, uh, a stash house that was being uh, run by the new gen cartel and there were a lot of shots being fired reinforcement showed up new generation cartel uh that, that high school teacher uh was shot and killed he was wearing ballistic vest he was still shot and killed and this was a trailer park area and several several rounds i don't know if it's a hundred but several rounds dozens of rounds anyway were fired in that trailer park this was an all-out war between two cartels this happened in the united states elements County, North Carolina, nowhere near the U.S.-Mexico border. So uh, these are the kind of things that are happening in the United States, and everybody needs to be aware of them, and also not for more of these that is occurring in the United States, no matter where, where you are. Oh, no, and that's definitely one of the reasons that we really wanted you uh, on the show, because some somebody that might be you know, watching this might not know there's even cartels in the United States. They're like, hey, that's a Mexico problem or that's a, you know, that's a street gang problem. But, you know, we deal with, you know, these second, third generation uh, communities where, you know, grandma bought the house and, you know, mama didn't do too much. And then, you know, young hooligans now, now running the house and he's running a muck all over the streets. And, you know, they have extra income because they don't have to pay rent and, you know, you know, they're trying to make a quick buck. So now you have these homes that are, uh, you know, uh, using as uh, burglary stash houses or drug stash houses or those kind of things. And, and it's important for us to know that these problems exist out there in some of these neighborhoods. I mean, I, I used to work in the San Gabriel Valley in um, you know, the Montebello, East L.A. area. And, you know, we had our share of issues with the Mongols, uh, you know, motorcycle gang in Montebello where, you know, the FBI came in, had a whole deal. Code enforcement came in and, you know, looked at some of the homes. Same thing. We had a, a cockfighting operation there, too. So, I mean, it's it's sometimes it's really close to home for some of our us in, in those types of jurisdictions. You know, we have uh, people in, you know, uh, you know, like Salinas, California, you know, the, the other prisoners are coming out. They're hanging out in those neighborhoods and they bring that criminal element because that's what they know. So, you know, I, I really. Yeah. So I really appreciate the time that you're taking to educate our code enforcement public. You know, there's a lot of training that you have out there that, you know, I would highly recommend on, on the Mexican cartels to know more about the patron saints and the Mexican underworld, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic gangs in the United States. So these are all classes that Robert uh, teaches uh, you know, a little bit more about narco corridos, uh, stash house investigations. So there's a lot of uh, tools that, that you have, and we really appreciate you coming on and, you know, kind of sharing this uh, insight with us. And, you know, if anybody has questions, we have uh, Robert on for a few, uh, for a couple more minutes, but, you know, it's been very informative and really, really appreciate your time. You know, that I, I love having, you know, asking these questions because, you know, you, you know, we don't always know everything in our, in our, um, in our craft and i think sometimes when we get other other experts from other fields and they teach us like wow you didn't know this happened in your neighborhood i'm like wow 
So it, it's 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 important for us. And like I said, um, you you get a lot of reviews saying that people benefited from your training. And you know, as as the drug world, like I said earlier, friend from crack to fentanyl today, you know, there's an evolution of uh, these drug cartels as well in this criminal element. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Well, I want to thank you for having me on here, and I want to thank you and all the code enforcement officers throughout the United States for for what they. Do do uh it's a it's a tough and you can go into some situation you don't know what's going on but the other thing too is i want to uh tell you and all your listeners viewers that i'm available at any time for any kind of questions and i get from officers when they're inside a house they'll send me a picture hey what do you think this is so uh if you don't i'll give you i'll give my cell number right now whoever wants to call me uh give me a call and that number is 210-740-6170 Again, that's two one zero seven four zero six one seven zero, and then that's my uh, my website at robertalmonte.com. It is Robert at robertalmonte.com, and uh, and then also if anybody's interested in attending any of uh, of my uh, uh, training, reach out to me, and we see if we can get you to a, a class in your area or out here in San Antonio sometime. Yeah, so I see um, you just had a, a writing narcotics search warrants. Uh, training and then in May you have the uh, Mexican cartels and uh, Mexican drug underworld training. Uh, let me see. And in June you have again. Uh, you, so you're in Atlanta, Idaho, Arkansas, Tennessee. You're all over the place. And today you're here with us on Code Concepts with Rachel and Pete. And I, we really appreciate you. And you know, there's uh, again, if you guys um, uh, you know need training, uh, need to know a little bit more about this criminal on the world, uh, definitely reach out to Robert. Uh, Robert is a great resource, you know, and, you know, I'm so blessed to have him on today and really appreciate your time and, you know, kind of information that you provided. Again, officer safety is a main concern for us, situational awareness and, you know, having people that actually done the job, you know, be on here and, and, you know, explain what their expertise is. And I love it. So thank you, Robert. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for having me. God bless you and, and everyone else. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>